What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam and Matt at it again. Uh, a huge slate, to be brutally honest. We have a lot of Knicks to talk about. We definitely want to get in-depth in of their eight-game win streak. Best month in franchise history. They are the talk of the town. One of the more impressive teams in the entire NBA right now. So definitely want to talk about them. We'll obviously talk about the NFC AFC Championship and our reactions to those. And as well as a little bit of a look ahead towards the Super Bowl and the biggest game of the year. Or it could be the second biggest game of the year, but we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Matt, how are we doing today? I'm, I'm doing all right. Same old, same old. Yeah, and, and same old, same old for the Knicks as they rattle off their eighth straight win yesterday. No Julius Randle injured. Uh, I believe it was a shoulder dislocation of some sort. We'll talk about that in a minute. No OG Ananobi. But the Knicks, uh, again, playing well. The, the Jazz are now under 500. So if you want to lump them into the Knicks' impressive uh, streak of beating teams under 500, go ahead. I believe they're now 20-0 and against teams under 500. And what more can we say about this team? That's really all you can ask for to to beat those kinds of teams. And we said on the last episode about the Knicks, where you know they sort of they sort of take a little bit of Robert Sala. They're kind of all gas, no break under uh, Tom Thibodeau. So uh, you can only beat who's on your schedule, right? Yeah, and I think that when you do that, and it's it's obviously one thing to beat up on everyone. Like you know, there's if you remember the Warriors years and the Heat years, where you have those truly, truly you know, otherworldly elite teams that, that do, they just beat everyone every night in realistically though, when you're a, just a, a really good team, like the Knicks are, or any of these really uh, great NBA teams right now are, you can only really ask for beating the, the teams you're supposed to beat and playing about 500 otherwise. So let me, let me ask you a question because, and just really to build in to the hype of the Knicks, because I think, you know, we should probably enjoy what's going on because it's maybe something we haven't seen before, or at least in the direction of something we haven't seen before. So in all your years of watching the Knicks, I, I get that they're still a superstar away. I get that, you know, the OG Ananobi deal just happened. Um, where where does this team rank in terms of Knicks teams that you've watched? I know this is more of a hopeful thing where it stands right now, but if you had to try and telegraph where this team is, where they might end up as presently constituted, where are they in terms of teams you've watched? So let me, I actually, I disagree with one, with one part of that. I'll, I'll answer your question in a second, but you mentioned that this was more of a hopeful thing. I kind of disagree. I think that this, this Knicks team specifically, unlike teams in the past, like for instance, the, the Jeremy Lin days and Lin Sanity, and even, uh, you know, even the early, early Thibs days with, with just Julius Randall, you know, pre Brunson, I thought those teams were more of like a hopeful thought where it's like, Oh wow. You know, if the Knicks can get hot at the right time, I think this team is is more of a sustained thing, and I think that this well, team yeah. is it, it, just to just to kind of you know nitpick your words a little bit. But I, I think there's definitely a, a delineation between these two that this team seems to have found an identity, they found a culture, and they're sticking to it. And it looks like now that Thibs has kind of has his hands on the roster and kind of has his hands on you know the minutes, obviously, and who they are trying to bring in. And like we said last episode, people like Bruce Brown are looking to play for this team, I think it's just it's more sustainable and it's a different kind of excitement. Keeping that in mind, though, I will say that, you know, I have been a Knicks fan for a long time, and I think that as it's a little too early to tell what how exciting, per se, this team is, 
until I see it in the playoffs. But let me bring this up, you know, because just thinking about, you know, the mellow years, mellow Stoudemire, you know, even right before that, again, I'm the late nineties or mid nineties are too, too old for me, I'll say. But uh, I think that those teams and, you know, again, the early Randall years and, even even some of the there was a couple of years with Porzingis there that in early Porzingis days that the Knicks were like, you know, somewhat relevant, at least. And I think that this team ranks right up there with them. But uh, I think that what this team has going for them that those teams did not is because it's more sustainable and because they're having this much success, they're going to find themselves or they should find themselves hosting a playoff series. And that's something that Knicks teams in the past, uh, you know, good dating back to the mellow days they haven't had that in a long time and i think that really really benefits the knicks more than maybe any other team in the nba yeah and i think the mellow days are probably the best direct comparison we can make in terms of nick teams because you know the the early randall days all that we were kind of building up to this whereas you know that mellow team you want to look 2012 or whatever year that was 2011 2012 where, you know, that team couldn't get past the Pacers. They were obviously never going to beat the Heat, but that team was, you know, really a finished product. You know, they had gone through the stress of who's going to be the superstar we get. Are we going to get LeBron James? They settled on Carmelo Anthony, and that was the finished product they had. And, you know, I think we knew it wasn't good enough to win a championship. The difference with this team is you really can't open a newspaper right now without, you know, reading about all the superstars that the Knicks might be targeting. And now it feels like the Knicks might actually be attractive. So what I wanted to do was, you know, again, j- just to kind of revel in the excitement of the Knicks, when we talk about superstars and who gets them over the hump, I have a, a just a list of names here, some realistic, maybe some long shots uh, that I wanted to give to you. And I wanted you to let me know, you know, what effect on the team you think that player would have? Do you think it gets them over the hump? You know, if not, well, why? Things like that. You know, there are some stars in this league that are just kind of untouchable and they're going to run the league for a while. You know, you talk Luka, Jokic, Giannis, even, you know, a Shea Gilgis Alexander. But I do have some names here that I would like to go over uh, if you wish. Go ahead. All right, so let's start off with someone who – the Knicks, uh, there was a lot of noise with, but now it kind of seems like as time goes on, it becomes more and more untouchable. But for fun, let's throw out Joel Embiid. So that's an interesting one. Actually gets re-injured. And, the and by the night. way, let, let's just, uh, I'm going to have to assume uh, clean bill of health with these players. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, sit yeah. here and ramble. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, but definitely definitely something to watch for in terms of all the entire NBA this year because it might knock him out of the MVP conversation. But again, conversation for another day. Obviously, if they got Joel Embiid and even if you had to replace Mitchell Robinson or deal Mitchell Robinson for him and kind of just replace the center position, it would be obviously I'd want him. Obviously, I entertain pretty much uh, pretty much anyone but OG and Brunson for for an Embiid, I think. I mean, I, I wouldn't even say that OG would be off the table, but yeah, Embiid would make them bring them to that next level of, you know, I would I would be dreaming about championships for certain. Right. And I think that's the only player I have here that you know, we all would say that. I think a lot of these are going to be tougher. So uh, let's go to uh, Middlesex County legend, Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. Um, so he's an interesting one. Obviously, a different drops 70 plus the same night as Embiid, and he's a prolific scorer. Although the problem with 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 Cat on the Knicks, I think right now, is that, yeah, he's a big man. He can kind of play the four. He plays the five. He's athletic. He's got He can definitely shoot the ball for a big and can put up crazy offensive numbers. Not sure how much that would play into the defensive side of the ball and how 
you know, the defense, the Knicks have really taken up this defensive prowess of late. It makes them good and it definitely upgrades their center position. But I think that the way this Knicks team is flowing right now, I'd probably only deal for Cat if the deal is great. And even then, I'm not sure how much it raises their their ceiling right now. Okay. Let's go to a player who's been aggressively linked to the Knicks, one Donovan Mitchell, where the Knicks could turn around, bring Donovan Mitchell here now and be like, well, now look what we got here. If you wanted to be here before, you know, does this make us a championship team? Well, a lot of people have him now linked to the Brooklyn Nets because of the fact that he I think it's very clear and obvious that and it's almost been taken as a fact that he eventually would like to play somewhere in New York or I guess New Jersey, presumably. Uh, but the Donovan Mitchell now, I, I'm almost at the point where I think that ship has kind of sailed and not saying that if the Cavs offer, you know, again, just like I said about Cat, if the Cavaliers offered and the Knicks kind of said, all right, I mean, if we're just going to keep trying to get talent, then we can't refuse this deal kind of thing. Obviously, yeah, I would take it. But anything, you know, I think that he he makes the offense. He's one of those players that is, is very ball dominant. And I think that a guy like Jalen Brunson, and again, pending the, the health of Julius Randle, that that might create some issues more, more than it would kind of benefit them. So I don't want to say that I don't want Donovan Mitchell, but I think that now – you know, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, honestly, they're you pick and choose right now. And I think that uh, they're very, very comfortable. So I don't know how much getting Mitchell with Brunson or Mitchell over Brunson would really make this team any different. OK, let's go to a player who's having a ton of success this year, really a part of a world class organization all around stacking up wins. Uh, let's go to Jeremy Grant. <laughs> so Jeremy Grant's an interesting one because he's one of those guys that he's got a big contract on a bad team. Uh, his name has been floated around with the Lakers. I've seen, I think the Clippers even, he, he's just nothing, nothing too pressing in, in terms of him, but he's just a guy that long lanky defender that can guard just like OG that can kind of guard one through five. And I think that a guy like that, who could also score the ball, he's a very good shooter. He's a, again, he's long lanky and just a, a defensive problem that you'll probably need down the line when you play a guy like a Giannis or like an Embiid in the playoffs. So I think that a guy like that would definitely behoove me. And I think that that would make, again, I don't know if he makes you like yeah, a I think he's true a, he's champion. A, like a supplemental star. I think he's in that category. If they got him for, let's just say, you know, Fournier, Grimes, and a bunch of picks, I think that the Knicks would then be, you really have to give me a conversation of them to be to win the East. That's what I'll say. Okay, and uh, let's go to uh, – this is an interesting one. This one's a, a throwaway for fun. Let's go to Devin Booker. Booker's an, another one. I, again, I'm a huge Devin Booker fan, very well known. I think, you know, a lot of listeners probably even have heard me talk highly about Devin Booker in the past. He's one that's interesting. And, he again, you're right. He's more unrealistic. I think he's going to be a uh, Phoenix Suns lifer uh, eventually. But he's a guy that – Again, he's an elite scorer in this league. He scored, what, 70 like last week or 60-something. And I actually refer to games where where if a player scores like 50 or more and their team loses, I call it the Devin Booker because that's just what he does. So mm-hmm. a guy like that who is interesting because, again, he can play every minute of the game. He's still relatively young. But he's valuable because not more so on his on the defensive side of the ball. He's not the best defender. He's more of like an effort defender. But on offense, 
he can play off the ball and he then becomes the total focus of the defense. He's one of those kind of guys. And then also we've seen him in the past, especially with those bad Suns teams. He is very good at running the point. He averages, I would guess, and this is off the top of my head, I would guess that he averages around five to six assists a night uh, out of the two guard spot. Again, there with Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal and Phoenix, a little bit numbers are a little bit uh, skewed there, but, I think if you were to, a guy like that were to come to the Knicks that is an elite, elite scorer that doesn't need the ball, you know, I, I would be very, very excited to get a guy like Devin Booker in New York. And that would that's another guy that would bring me to championship aspirations. Yeah, and if you wanna if you wanna catch the Phoenix Suns in action, I believe tomorrow night uh they will be in Brooklyn. Uh so the next time we see the Knicks is gonna be tomorrow, uh home against the Pacers. Obviously, good news about OG Ananobi. It seems like uh, it's an elbow, right? Something that he uh, said that he's dealt with before. And uh, I guess now we just kind of wait on Randall and we're going to see some above 500 teams and we'll see how that goes. Are you at all worried about the Knicks? Maybe taking Randall out of the equation, uh, yeah, the equation, even if for just a couple of days moving forward, coming off of an eight game win streak. Not, I wouldn't say concerned more. So I just think it's more, it just you stinks know, when something's clicking so well, and then it's like we got to hit the pause button for a second. But but hey, you're right. But hey, look, I mean, Dante DiVincenzo the last couple nights yeah. that Randall's been out has been unbelievable. Like yeah, thirty three points last night. He, he he looks like he's turned into Devin Booker overnight, mm-hmm. almost like verbatim. Which which you know numbers that he's put up the last two nights is what I think Devin Booker would do every single night. So I I would be very very excited to have that just kind of linking the two conversations but and back to Randall the thing with Randall that's interesting is I'm curious to see how you know obviously we just said DiVincenzo has stepped up but when OG gets back how well this team looks and how well they play because I don't think that you know taking Randall out is necessarily the biggest detriment to this team which is crazy because it it was like five minutes ago that was like the worst thing that could happen to the Knicks (laughs) yeah but but like I agree with you, but I think that Jalen Brunson is kind of just plays his style of basketball that, yeah, he'll need another guy to lean, not lean on, but he'll need another guy to step up. Like, like I said, like DiVincenzo has been doing, or like, I think a healthy OG Ananobi could probably do as well. But, you know, that's where they'll miss Randall in the times where, you know, maybe Brunson's getting a breather or they're, you know, late in the game, they're kind of playing a, you know, a bigger, a bigger team, I guess, you know, a team with more length or more size that Randall could kind of match up with. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, too. I think it's been undersung what Randall has been able to do on defense. When, when he actually tries, I'll say. Like, when they're in a half-court set on defense, it's not transition where he jogs back very frequently. He didn't – you know, he's not complaining about a call on the other side of the court. I think that Randall is actually a, a bit underrated as a defender. When he's like – you know, when he's – if you – let me put it this way. If you were watching a basketball game and the other team – like a half-court basketball game, Randall might be an elite defender. Otherwise, he's just about average because he's so bad in transition and he's always complaining about calls. But when you when you like set up and Nick set up on defense, it's been undersung how good of a defender he is. And I think that that could be not necessarily a bigger miss than his offense because he's a great offensive player, too. But I think that, you know, his physicality, his athleticism and his size on the defensive end, it goes underrated. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when a teacher has just a really shitty kid in the class. And then they have to say, no, if he just applied himself and tried a little bit, he he could be 
he would be an honor student. That, that's kind of what Randall feels like sometimes. I would love to have a list of guys that I I mean, I'm not going to do it off the top of my head, but a list of guys in the entire league that yeah. fall into that category because I we could we could probably do a whole podcast about that in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Like what would Luca be if he tried just as hard on defense as he did on offense? Yeah. What would be what, would, what would Jokic be if he just didn't need the money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he would be in Serbia still. Yeah. With his horses. But yeah, the, the Knicks are the Knicks are great. I believe they actually have like six straight games at home now. Uh, they they start a long home uh, streak. Yeah, they have Pacers, Lakers, Grizzlies, Mavs, and then Pacers again, uh, all through February tenth, all at home. So if you're if you're looking out to get to a Knicks game, maybe you you want to make up for uh, your, your missed Knicks game. Maybe one of these days you'll you'll head out to go see LeBron. Maybe. Yeah. How I was just gonna say, how is the program? not planning on hitting one of these Knicks games soon. I mean, you said the other day, right now, they're like, must watch TV. How is that not in the cards? And by the way, the the Suns will be in town in Brooklyn tonight, not tomorrow. Oh, yes. Yes, you are correct. Um, I, You know, I have a I have a bad Knicks, Lakers, LeBron story. Did I ever tell you it when I when I went to go see the Lakers play? Yeah. Yeah, I, remember. I think went, it was that. Two years ago? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was the year where, like, the Lakers were – uh, you know, still had Rondo and Dwight Howard and yeah. LeBron and AD and that clown show of a team. That was a. I'll say this though about that team. I don't know how many listeners like watch the Lakers. Like I watch the Lakers. They're, they're kind of like I just watch the Lakers for LeBron. I think I've probably missed like yeah, you bought 10 the Lakers games whole year. You bought the, like the Laker package one season. I did that last year, but this yeah. year I just I bought the whole thing. But. Yep. That team uh, that I think it was like 2021, that Laker team with like Lance Stevenson and they were just terrible, I think is probably was the most fun basketball to watch because they were so bad. But then you would have like these like veterans coming in at the end of the game, just, you know, just looking like prime veterans from time to time. Like we got we used yeah. to get like prime Lance Stevenson games, prime Rajon Rondo games, prime Dwight Howard games in like the fourth quarter of blowouts. And it was so much fun. Did we ever get but, a prime mellow game over there in LA? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, he's he's another one that's that was on that that misfit toy roster. Yeah, and that was that was coming off of their Mickey Mouse uh, championship too. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it definitely. They all they went to the bubble and they just said, "All right, you know what? F it. We're just gonna let's just have fun next year." Yeah, yeah. But um, anything anything else on the Knicks? I mean, it's it's well, actually before before we move on, I did have one more point to make. I think that. This the front office of the Knicks is getting very, very underappreciated right now. And I think that looking at, you know, they drafted Frank Nilakina with the what, the, the seventh or eighth pick or something like that. They traded Porzingis. They they missed on Kevin Knox, who I think is on the as a reserve on the worst team in the NBA right now. Yep. Uh, the Pistons. I mean, this team was in absolute hell just three years ago. They were in. I know you'll remember this. It could be my hottest take of all time. But this team was in so much hell a few years ago that I didn't even think that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would fix this. Again, yeah, and you know, I, I, I guess, I guess you might have been right about that. I guess you might have been right about that. I thank you, me against the world for my life. Yeah. I'm the only one. Listen to this. I'm the only one to have. Remember when uh, Matt got me on freezing cold takes for that? Yeah, yeah. So I am the only one in the world, maybe, that freezing cold takes, freezing cold takes, and that is pinned on my uh, Twitter page. 
How about your, that? Put that in your resume. It's it's unbelievable. I and you know what? It, it, I'm gonna triple down on it because what I did was I took the freezing cold takes tweet and I said, "Oh, KD did really good on the Nets." Dot dot dot. And then when the Suns, you know, blow up this year or the Suns uh, end up trading Kevin Durant next I can't, year, I can't wait till I can't I can't wait till the Sun blows up. <laughs> that too. That's gonna be the name of the pod. Um, <laughs> the Sun blowing up, and then uh, but when when Kevin Durant ultimately flames out in Phoenix and goes on to his other his next team to ruin. Uh, I'm going to quote tweet my quote tweet of the freezing cold take and say, Kevin Durant did good on the Suns as well. And I will have triple down on freezing cold takes. <laughs> so just need to get that out there. But back to, back to my original point though, uh, I'd like to get some of your thoughts, I guess too. But like, I mean, I mean, you even know that, you know, the transition between the post mellow days to the Porzingis and Frank Nilakina, Kevin Knox era, where, you know, they're throwing Charles Oakley out of the stadium. They they just look like an absolute pile of shit, for lack of a better term. I mean, is is there anything that you can even compare this turnaround to, franchise-wise? No, I mean, we saw the Knicks win 17 games. Yeah, barely. Yeah, so, no, I, I'm not really sure, but I think the reason that we're saying, you know, they don't really get their props and stuff is because I think, you know, fans are still cautious, and I think they're still kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, you just, you know, beautifully outlined all the, I mean, really dreadful mistakes, especially draft night mistakes that the Knicks have made. And I don't think anyone expected the turnaround that you just outlined. So I don't think people believe in it just yet. And I think maybe I don't either. And that's maybe where, you know, we kicked off the show and I said, you know, I, I'm still more just hopeful than I am sold. Uh, I think that's where the fan base is right now. I think that's why the front office isn't getting their flowers. So you think, let me ask you this. Let's just say that the, the Knicks, you know, like I said, get to the first round, host the playoff series, or I guess obviously they'll have played games in a playoff series, but host the home playoff series and they win. Do you think like when, I guess my question here is when do you think the, the real excitement and the real flowers to this front office will start kicking in? I think when they look like they belong in a playoff series. So I, I think you're looking to get past the first round, right? Cause you have a, a real prime opportunity to be a, a three or four seed, which is the expectation we laid out and they're actually meeting it, which is something the Knicks haven't done in a while. So I think anything short of, you know, making it to the second round of the playoffs and listen, if you're going to lose, you know, to a team that you just can't compete with, if, if that's what it looks like, but but you ha- you can hang. I think that's really all Nick fans need to see, knowing that a superstar is on the horizon. Just look like you belong in the seed that you're playing in. Unlike a couple of years ago when the Knicks finished with a high seed because they're all gas in the regular season. And then, you know, we kind of watched Julius Randle and the Knicks get exposed in the playoffs. I think you're just looking for that to not happen. But I do think the icing on the cake would be, you know, if you're going to finish as high as it looks you are, Let's get past the first round. So I was going to say, so would you sign for, let's just say finishing as a four seed, let's for argument's sake, of course. would you give the, the front office, you personally, would you give the front office flowers with finishing as a four seed, beating a, let's just say like, let's just say they beat the Cavaliers in the first round and then they lose in like a six game series to the Bucks. Would you then give the front office flowers for that? I think you'd have to. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree. Because what are you going to do? Say 
they should have beaten the Bucs. Why? You know, I think that's something to you, you should be completely satisfied with knowing that the Knicks are not done. Yeah, and I and I think that there's even even though now, like I, I think there's part of the Knicks that in terms of, you know, getting back to our conversation about the potential trade candidates, I think that there's something to, you know, yeah, the Knicks probably could make a deal for Cat and they probably could make a deal for Zach Levine. And I think that there's something to, you know, not necessarily the Knicks are kind of on that fringe of like, you know, true competitor versus just really good playoff team. And I think that there's something to, you know, once you get that other star, I mean, then you're just kind of setting yourself to be more disappointed. Do you put any stock in that or do you follow that at all? Not really. I I don't think that – I think that, like we said earlier, there are supplemental superstars where if you get a good deal for a player like you just mentioned, I don't think you're upset about it, and I don't think you're more disappointed if it doesn't work out. I think that, like, we kind of all know what we're waiting on, and I feel like it's a true superstar. And I think that's what gets the Knicks over the hump. Because we say it all the time, it's a superstar league. They're not going to win a championship without one. And, you know, Zach Levine's not going to be that guy, obviously. Yeah, and, and he's another one that, I mean, we just kind of outlined a, a bunch of guys, but him, DeMar DeRozan, like, yeah, they're guys that they'll they'll come with, you know, relatively high asking prices. You'll have to give up a lot. And not necessarily even saying that the the Knicks' future is, uh, you know, they're, they're so thinking towards the future because I think that when you find yourself in a three seed and you're overachieving, you might have to kind of shift gears and kind of make your future assets available and I'm not saying that the Knicks haven't done that, but I think that they're really, really smart in being, you know, the, the deal for OG Ananobi totally shifted this team on a dime. And and it's been very, very apparent. They are the best team in, in 2024, best record in January. Fran, again, like I said, franchise record for most amount of wins in, in a single month. Um, and I think that they're going to continue to be cautious about what they do in terms of, finally pushing their chips into the middle of the table and saying, all right, let's, we're going to really going to go for it this year. And, and I think that even if they can kind of just play out the rest of the season without having to make a move for a big guy, like, like we said, you know, not necessarily you said a supplemental superstar, but a, a real superstar. I, I think that that might come closer. It might be more realistic in the off season than right now or in yeah. the next week or so. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I, I think with, with a second round appearance and a good fight, I think you have to be happy with it. Yeah, and and I think a lot of Knicks fans would be. Um, any other points on the Knicks here? We got to get into some uh, some of these football games because we're we have a Super Bowl to talk about. No, nothing else. I, I think we we hit on all cylinders there. Yep. So the Knicks must see TV. Uh, can I, I was honestly I haven't been this. I am fully locked into every single game now just because I, I just love the style of basketball they play. Um, we'll shift gears, though. Let's let's talk about some of these, the Super Bowl matchup, Chiefs, 49ers. We can get into some of these games. I mean, what what do you think is the storyline number one of this past weekend? Is it the, the downfall of the MVP Lamar Ravens? Is it how good Patrick Mahomes is? Is it Dan Campbell's coaching decisions? Where do you want to go first? You know, I I think Dan Campbell's coaching decisions are, are going to be a fun conversation to have today. I, I think really the only right answer to that question, and it's a good question, is 
just the continued, you know, emergence of Patrick Mahomes to an- another level every year. Because, you know, if I sat here and said the story was Lamar Jackson losing in the playoffs again, and that's not even a slight to Lamar Jackson, it's just how is that any different from what happens to Joe Burrow and what happens to Josh Allen when they have to face uh, Patrick Mahomes? It's the same story. So I think that that kind of trumps all. I think he's really putting together something that people aren't really recognizing or, you know, anyone who really gets offended by the Brady comparison. I mean, it's right there. He's right on track. And I think it's important to, to recognize that. And you're someone who, and it's something I appreciate about you, although I don't necessarily do it, is you like to take in all that greatness and root for it. And I, I like to take it in too, but I don't find myself necessarily rooting for the greatness of Patrick Mahomes just because, you know, I'm watching that game and I love Lamar Jackson. I'm, I'm dying to see Lamar get to a Super Bowl, but, you know, the inevitable Patrick Mahomes comes again. So I, I think that that's got to be the overwhelming top storyline, especially heading into another Super Bowl for Mahomes. It's really absurd. Um, but there's a lot of other things that we'll definitely get to hit on that are important. And for the Patrick Mahomes conversation, too, it's it's also the same conversation that the likes of Drew Brees, the likes of Phil Rivers, the Peyton likes Manning. of Peyton Manning, all those guys that were under Tom Brady and just were, you know, if we're going to kind of talk and evaluate people, you know, post-career and, you know, oh, well, this this guy won this many Super Bowls and this guy won this many Super Bowls and this guy lost to this person, it's it's something that it's almost like not fair in a way, but at the same token, it, until you beat the man, you can't be the man. And it's, it's a fun conversation. And I think that we're starting to see the parallels between not necessarily the on-field play, not necessarily the, uh, the you know, the, the controversial fit superstar in terms of Brady and Mahomes, but the Brady and Mahomes comparisons are becoming more and more real every single year. Yeah. And I don't even think it's just the success. I think it's, the process i think it's the way they represent their organization in the league i think that they're kind of you know they're, they're patrick mahomes is the new tom brady in which is to say he's the new face of the shield he is and it's i think it's definitely the uh, it's so obvious that he is and i think that even you want to get not not really you know tinfoil hat but he gets every single call it's yeah. all even when he doesn't get a call it's always like the even the announcers, you know, there's the Collinsworth joke about, oh, that was very Mahomesy. Like he, he just gets like so much praise. And I under look, I understand that it gets nauseating. And, and it is even even when he's you know, all the memes about the announcers kind of just saying comparing every single person. You know, I see Caleb Williams comparisons to Mahomes. I see this person compared to Mahomes. And I think it's it's kind of funny, but it, it's. It just speaks to, like you said, just the absolute just greatness that Mahomes is. And I think that this game specifically, you can point it on, you know, Spagnola having a great defensive game plan. You can point it on Andy Reid just being, you know, not necessarily picking apart the defense of the Ravens, but Mahomes started, what, 12 of 12 in that game? It seemed like if you believe that the beginnings of games and beginning drives are all scripted and practiced and rehearsed, I mean, then some of that success in the first half of the Chiefs has to fall on Andy Reid. But I think that all of that kind of just falls under the fact that those guys are able to do those things and able to scheme up these game plans because Patrick Mahomes is is just greatness. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to gush over the offensive game plan or anything. This was kind of a quiet offensive game. Well, well, the, well, let me stop you there real quick. I, I agree with you. In the second half, I think the Ravens really stepped up, and I think the Chiefs kind of went into like, uh, don't lose the game mode versus yeah. keep putting points up. But I would be absolutely. I'm watching the first quarter, first half of that game. Mahomes started 12 of 12. He put them to bed right there. That was it. They Once you realize that you can't stop, literally cannot stop this guy, even for a half of a game, you're going to lose. And that's exactly where the Ravens found themselves. So I think that while the ending game plan and maybe the halftime adjustments by Andy Reid and the offense weren't the best, I think that the game plan that went into this game was absolutely spot on perfect. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't want to take away from, uh, you know, another topic from this weekend which is, you know, Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, his run his you know, he's going to be the MVP, but his run this year coming to a close in that story. What do you think that means for Lamar Jackson moving forward? Because he's already, and I'll just say it. I mean, I think he's the most unfairly and, and harshly criticized quarterback we've probably ever seen. Um, and I, I think this year was a real prove it year and it's really unfortunate that he's not going to bring it to a Super Bowl. Do you think he at all changed the narrative in terms of, you know, in picking up another MVP because it's it's tough to win two MVPs. Like you have to be a really premier player in this league to do that. But you know, the the ammo is still there to say that he can't get it done in the playoffs. Do you think that he did anything legacy wise to kind of maybe wipe that notion away, or or is it just gonna is this game gonna wind up being the story for Lamar Jackson? So my quick answer to that would be would be no, and I think that the fact that the everyone that kind of rips Lamar Jackson and everyone that has their complaints about him and his play style. I think that they are going to point to this game and say, Oh, he was so bad. And he, you know, he threw this pass. That was bad. That pass. That was bad. And I think that's going to be the knee jerk reaction. But he did, by the way, I do want to put that out there. Like this, the first half of this game, like he really was missing throws. Like he, he didn't look like he had all season. This was not Lamar's best game, for sure. No. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to say any anything different. What I will say different, and kind of like a different take that I have on the game, and I don't know if this is just me putting too much stock into game plan or me putting too much stock into uh, game flow, even. But how are you going to tell me that the Ravens and how are you? Or let me ask, let me rephrase that question. How are you going to put it on Lamar a hundred percent that the Ravens, the the head and shoulders best rushing attack. In the NFL, yes. there you go. Just totally abandon the run game. Yeah, say it again. Say it again. It abandon the run game, and I think that it's it's going to be something that Lamar hate, like true Lamar haters, will point to and say, "Well, if he can't win a game with his arm, then he can't. He's not going to be able to win games." I don't even think that's the case, though. I think it, it's going to be just another very unfairly looked at game where, you know, Lamar was not good, and in the, the chances that. The, the times that he was bad in this game or made a bad play was much more than his good plays. Obviously, they lost the game. But you look at this, I mean, the way this game ended with the uh, Zay Flowers taunting and Zay Flowers and fumbling into the end zone, they yeah. played, uh, you know, rel- for forget about the game plan for a second. Forget about, you know, who played well and who didn't. I think that there were just so many mental lapses that I think this, this is just going to be another game that, to me, I would like to see this game run back if the Ravens stick to their game plan that got them there and that's and we're, we're able to use that to their advantage and not run the ball, you know, four times in the second half. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. We're not talking more about that. And listen, you know, nine yeah. different nine different players caught a pass, and he really spread it around and all that. But completely abandoned the running game. And honestly, I think John Harbaugh probably owes Dan Campbell an edible arrangement because we are not talking about this enough. Yeah, I I that's a great point, and I think that kind of baked into my Lamar take is that it is it's going to fall on Lamar ultimately, but. To me, it definitely should not be a Lamar conversation. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I agree. And it's just when you look at the complete, just I mean, I don't even want to say lack of usage. Really, just no usage of your running game at all, or your running backs anyway. I just, how can you? You lost by seven, and you only gave up seventeen points. So there really was no point in this game where you were like, "Well, now we can't run it anymore." There was no, yeah. there, there, that never happened. So, you know, yeah. we talk all the time. A lot of times we look at a game and we go, why didn't they run the ball enough? And we go, yeah, you know, but they were down 20 and we kind of have that little back and forth. That never happened here. It, you're you're 120% right. And I think that it, it's that even kind of speaks to more of just what the game plan was. Like they probably watched the film and saw that maybe the cheat, they, they, they saw something in the secondary that they like to expose or they saw something in the, Maybe the Chiefs were kind of giving like a weak box where uh, or they're giving too many people in the box, I should say, that it was kind of not giving them good run looks. But at the end of the day, you got to you got to figure out something, right? Like think about the Chiefs. Let's let's flip the script a little bit all year. And even going into the playoffs, it was well, Kelsey's watch. Kelsey's watch. Kelsey just played his, his two best games in the playoffs and the Chiefs found a way. Yeah. Yep. So and I think that there's if you want to, you know, get back to what got you there, which I think a lot of people would probably agree with. And can, we'll obviously we'll talk about Dan Campbell in the same sense, but if you want to stick to what you you've been doing all year, it, it makes zero sense, actual zero sense to go out and, and perform it and kind of have a game plan like that. It makes no sense. And I, I think there's no rationalizing it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to pin this loss on both uh, John Harbaugh and Justin Tucker. Uh, you 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 have to aggravate Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey <laughs> before they really. I get what yeah. he was doing, and I think it was fun. I think the whole thing was cool and funny, and I, I enjoy the content. But man, the Chiefs are coming into your building. Uh you know, I think that it's. Uh, I I didn't hate that. Let me put it that way. I get. I'm just a. I'm I'm a big no bulletin board material guy. When you know, in a situation like this. Yeah, look, I get the argument, but I, I as a as a non fan of both teams, I'm I'm a fan of it. You know what I mean? Like oh, if, yeah. if I was a Ravens fan, it. I'd be pissed. Yeah, I enjoyed it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So man, the Chiefs back in the Super Bowl again. You know, I, like I said, it's not something I was rooting for. I was definitely pulling for Lamar, and uh, I really didn't get any of my wishes this conference championship weekend because, as you know, I was pulling hard for Detroit. I think this game has more talking points than the one we just went over, um, at least in terms of like the in-game stuff. So what the hell happened for the Lions? What, so was, the the Lions, lead, what was the lead that they had at the half? What, what was I, it again? I want to say it was 27 to 10. Is that yeah, right? That, that, yeah, that is right. 27 to 10. Yeah. So 27 to 10 at half. And I'll, let me just paint the picture here. Um, twenty. Sorry, not 27. It was 24 to 7. 24-7 at half. Okay. So 24-7 and a half. 
I'll paint the picture for you. Right, I was I was out and about all Sunday. Uh, I ended up going to uh, one of my friend's houses to watch the game. Uh, we watched the the end of the, we watched the beginning of the Chiefs game out. Went to his went back to his house. Watched the second half of the Chiefs game at his house, and then watched the beginning of the Lions game at his house. And I left and after the first half of the Lions game to go back home. And in my mind, I was like, this game's over. Like, you know, the 49ers, uh, you know, Linsanity run ended here, whatever you want to say. But I get home and it's like, Ayuk makes that catch. And then all of a sudden it looks like there's momentum. And then the first thing I really kind of sat down and sat down and watched was that, that first kind of, I don't want to say the first time I saw the momentum swing, but I really thought then or I sat down and I was like, the 49ers really have a chance in this game. And I thought that obviously the, the conversation is going to be and the much bigger conversation is going to be the Dan Campbell decisions. But I think that kind of like where I said that it was going under the radar, how bad the Ravens game plan was. I thought that what the 49ers did at halftime and the way they adjusted and the way they came out and, ultimately ended up winning the game is a very, very underrated thing that happened. And you can say that the Lions gave it to them. You can say that the Lions did this, but they put up 17 points in the third quarter out of half. They outscored them 27 to seven in the second half. I, the first thing I want to start with here is giving the 49ers coaching staff props before we get into any sort of Dan Campbell rhetoric. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, and so again, and I think that Kyle Shanahan is, you see all the people that have that have came and uh, went there in 49ers and have become head coaches, coordinators elsewhere. And it just seems to be another one of those NFL trees that has success. OK, now we'll cue in the Dan Campbell conversation. We had the conversation during the plays, during the during the game, after the game, even leading up to this podcast. I think that there's two ways to look at this and I'll present mine. And then obviously I'd, I'd like to hear your side of this, too. I think that, and this kind of can sum up all of them. I think that the the two questionable calls were going for it on instead of kicking the field goal to put yourself up. What was it? Three scores? Was that the one? Yeah, there was there was a couple. There was three times. There was I three, believe. three so, notable yeah. ones. So it was the it was kicking for it before the half to go up three. Then it was going for it to tie the game versus just having a fourth and three. And then the last one was at the very end, down by ten. Uh, I think it was like second and goal and they run the ball, try and get it into the end zone opposed to passing, don't get it. And ultimately have to use a timeout to stop the clock, which then made it, made it impossible for them to stop the clock on the other side of the ball. When the 49ers would presumably get it back and try and, and need a first down to, to end the game. So I think of the three, the, the most obvious one that I, I think we could start with is we can work backwards. Now working backwards lends us to that fourth and three run or third or second goal run where they needed like seven yards to get into the end zone that there's no excuse for that one. Tell no. me I'm wrong. No, no excuse. Yeah. I, I think for me, it started to become an issue for me personally, when I just felt like it felt like almost prideful, you know, it felt almost like, well, this is what got us here. This is what we do. This is who we are. And we're going to keep doing it because that's just kind of the Dan Campbell aura and the players are all for it because, you know, we've never met a quarterback who said, I don't want the ball in my hands. So the players are all for it. But to me, it just comes off like, you know, we saw those stats of probability, 
right? With the percentage they make it versus, you know, the, the probability that their kicker is going to hit a field goal from here. And that's fine. But all that conversion data that you have that you're using analytically, and I don't know if Dan Campbell's using it. I don't know if he's just saying, this is who we are. But all that data you're using, are all those plays against the 49ers and are all those plays in a playoff game against a team that's down and desperate? No. And on top of that, you're in San Francisco and their whole identity is the choke play. Like no one can come back from a deficit quicker than them and maybe Patrick Mahomes. So I, to me, it got to a point where it's like, how are you not putting points on the board here when you're lucky to be in the position you're in? And I, I don't know. I don't even want to call it greed because I don't, I, I just think it was straight up like pride. That's what kind of what it came across to me as. So I, and I, and I agree, uh, but I think that, I'm kind of more, I would say, lukewarm on the situation. And it sounds like you and maybe many people are because uh, I'm kind of still on the fence about it. Like there's part of me that wants to say, yeah, you should just stick to your guns in those situations. And if you've been doing that all year, then then sure. You know, if you don't trust your kicker to make a was it 48 yard field goal, then sure. Like I understand that. But I think that you can only do that like to a point. And I think that Dan Campbell kind of just tripled down on himself there. And there's there's so many angles that I could look at this, right? Like if he goes for it and doesn't get it, then it becomes uh, obviously what happened where it's like, oh, what kind of bad call is that? If he does it and gets it, then it becomes uh, then because, wow, what a you know, what a great call. But I think that what Dan Campbell did there is he and I can kind of respect him for it. He kind of put it on his shoulders and he said that, you know, I, I did he say after the game that he would do it again or something like that? What were his quotes after the game? Do you remember? Uh, I he probably said that so, something to the effect of like, yeah, you know, I, I could, would do that again or something like that, or even you know to reassess. He kind of doubled down on it. I think that he didn't to say that he lost in the game. I, I think is more pointing to one call. I, I think that there's really only one call in that game that I might have changed, given you know percentages and whatnot. And it's easy to say like, oh, yeah, he should have did this. He should have did this. He should have did this. Because let's just say even one of those goes the other way. We could still be talking about a different game. And and to kind of you could say it's flipping a coin on all of those in terms of analytics. And I think that if you get three coin flips and all three don't go your way, it's just not your day. I don't know what yeah, else to say. Yeah. Well, whenever we talk about, you know, because we have conversations about analytics and baseball all the time because you know you and i have been talking baseball since you know right before analytics were really a big part of the game and now they're a huge part of the game and what we always say is analytics are a great tool over the 162 from april to october it's great and then once you get into the postseason it's kind of a crapshoot and you're on your own it's not really it's it's not the bible to you anymore and I, I don't think Dan Campbell recognized the situation. And I don't think he allowed himself to either. I think he they were so dead set on this is what we do until the end when we started to see them kind of second guessing themselves like, oh, did we do this again? So, yeah, I don't know. That, that's kind of where I stand on it. It's something I don't really have a major issue with because, you know, we did see it work all year and all we did all season was give Dan Campbell and the way they run that offense props. So I really don't want to let one game, you know, skew that whole narrative. But I just think sometimes, man, you got to recognize the situation. Because as much as I, I give the 49ers all the credit in the world for that turnaround, 
and they're a team that's equipped to do it. At the same time, Detroit did not help themselves out. Definitely did not. They, they, I, I don't want to go as far to say that they kind of gave the game away because I think that would be ultimately taken away from the the 49ers. And look, the Lions had some on top of the the bad uh some of the bad play calling or the questionable decision making, there was just some bad plays. There was a couple drops by the, the Lions wide receivers late in that game that definitely affected the outcome. I mean, even one of the one of the conversions there that uh was a Reynolds just drops the ball. And yep. I think that uh, you know, obviously more often than not and in practice and when maybe it's not the NFC championship, maybe those are catches. So I, I think that there's many different ways that you can kind of approach this game and talk about this game. I, I did want to hit, hit on one thing you just mentioned though. And I think that just kind of, it's a little bit unrelated, but you, you keep, you mentioned a couple of times how Dan Campbell just kind of, you got to feel the situation and you got to feel, you know, you got to have a kind of a feel for the stadium and read the room, all, all that stuff. Now, a lot of people will complain that, you know, a guy like Mike McDaniel, right? Like, or even in all analytics and all, all sports, you always get the people that say, oh, you need a guy in there who just understands what's going on. You need a guy in there who's been in the helmet and shoulder pads or been in the batter's box. Now, let me ask you this. Is that not Dan Campbell? And is that not totally just ass backwards what just happened? What do you mean? So, so like, Dan Campbell is a guy, like you just said. Yes. And then what was the question? And but but the problem with Dick that Dan Campbell just had was, and I think a lot of people would agree, he just didn't was not able to get a feel of the momentum, was not able to get a feel of, of the room of the stadium, and ultimately, I think that he kind of coached that game in a way that someone that a has would. never been in helmet and shoulder pads would have. Does, I, that, I does th- that make sense? No, I think I disagree. I think. Like I said before, like I think you you know you've never seen a quarterback not want the ball and not want to be aggressive. I think he thinks he still has the helmet on. It so, but but don't you think that as a guy that has I want to say been in that scenario, but a guy that has been in the helmet and shoulder pads and on an, an NFL roster and on an NFL team, I believe wasn't he on the zero sixteen Lions team? Yeah, Dan Campbell. So. Yeah, yeah. So like he's been he's seen the worst football possible. Don't you think that? you know, those play calls specifically part of him would have been like, okay, you know, yeah, this is what I've done all year, but like, man, we get this crowd into it. They're going to storm back and beat us. Yeah. I hope it's not playing to the crowd, but yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Maybe it has something to do with that, you know, that he's an offensive guy. Cause you know, I don't think that's something you see from a D'Amico Ryans or even an Antonio Pierce or something you probably won't see from a Gerard Mayo. I think it's just kind of the philosophy there. And I really would like to know how much of it, is a Dan Campbell thing and how much of it is just, it's just a part of the operation there now. But um, yeah, again, listen, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to completely kill Dan Campbell. It is something that we gave him credit for all year, but yeah, I just, I just think when you're, when you're in San Francisco, man, I don't know. It, it was tough for me to watch. I was really, I was really into, into Detroit there. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll obviously make our final picks and whatnot when we get to the Super Bowl. Oh, but I also want to mention uh, huge for Detroit. Uh, something I saw Lions fans kind of getting really stressed about. Uh, they will retain offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. So yeah, that was that, I thought that was interesting because he seemed to be a top head coaching candidate. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll we'll talk about more of the head coaching carousel as uh, just one one bit of NFL news. The Seahawks hire. Um, 
a 36-year-old, now the youngest head coach in the NFL, Mike McDonald, the former uh, Seahawks and Ravens defensive coordinator. He will be the next head coach of the Seattle uh, Seahawks. And that so leaves we, we in terms Mike of – McCarthy, a Mike McDaniel, and a Mike McDonald. Yeah, MacDonald. Okay. And it's it's not an MC thing, vehicle. It's yeah, an yeah. MAC vehicle. MAC vehicle, yeah. So now, again, with the coaching carousel, maybe maybe we'll hit on this once the whole season ends and maybe this is filled. But right now, there's two open positions. There's the commander's head coach and the New England Patriots general manager, T- TBD. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll have more to come on that. but And we'll obviously – We'll talk more Super Bowl and kind of, you know, our ideas on the matchup sometime next week. But I think the, the biggest question, and I think that it's so obvious that this has to be asked. Minus 225 that Travis Kelsey does not propose to Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl. Where are you at on that? Well, I think the more interesting thing about this is I've read people kind of mapping out how she's going to make it to the game. So she's supposed to be in Tokyo the night before, then the night after yeah, the Super yeah, Bowl, yeah. she's somewhere else. So all you know, all this oh time zones and flights. So I, it's actually I was just gonna say it's gonna be impressive that she's even going. I'm not all that impressed by Taylor Swift in her private jet, but it's a good question, and I hope that it's a prop bet. I think that he's probably begging her to be able to do it after the game. Like he really he probably really wants to. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting that you have that take. I almost I'm at a point where like I feel like there would be a contingent of Taylor Swift fans that would be disappointed if that it happened like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like on a football field, like not there. By the way, I said this in the chat the other day. I just want to reiterate it. If 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 Swifties get to see their team win a Super Bowl in year one, I'm done with sports because it's not fair. You're hanging it up. Yeah, it's not fair at all. Do you think uh what 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 do you have to say to the people that would say that the uh that Taylor Swift is a uh, we'll say political spy and and is being corrupted by the American government to win the Super Bowl for the Chiefs? Yeah. I would say um there's a website called uh indeed.com and what you do is you go on there there's listings and you can inquire. Yeah. yeah but um inquire within. I think an interesting angle from the Taylor Swift uh viewpoint of the Super Bowl here is you know, say what you want about Taylor Swift. This is uh, like a whole, like a whole lot of people, like almost a whole generation of people that maybe weren't going to tune into the Super Bowl. So I kind of wonder if is that enough to like push it over the hump of being the highest rated uh, Super Bowl ever? Oh, it, oh, I think I think it is. It, it will be. I think. And I think the craziest understood. part about it. I don't know if you saw all these breakdowns. Like she's averaging like 24 seconds of screen time per game. Yeah, I did see something like that. Yeah. It's well, it's interesting that I was having this conversation the other day about, I, I don't know if you saw the tweets about, you know, the uh, prospective worth that she has brought to the NFL since her arrival. We'll say, did you see those? I'm not sure what you're talking about. I know she's made the NFL over like $400 million. Yeah. Those like to, to kind of calculate, how much she's actually benefited the NFL. You saw all that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting to kind of figure out like, how the hell are they calculating that? Like, do they just say like, all right, week six, she showed up or whatever it was. And our viewers have gone, if we put a price on every viewer, our viewers have gone up by this amount. So we're all going to point that on Taylor Swift. Like, how do they calculate that? I would love to be in that room. 
Yeah. You know what I would love to have? I would love to have Taylor Swift's cell phone. And I want to hear all the things the NFL are trying to to get her in on to try and capitalize more. Like, you can't tell me they're not trying to sell, like, Taylor Swift Chiefs collab merch. Like, they have to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, but honestly, though, like, if I'm Taylor Swift, why why wouldn't I? And the crazy thing is she could have performed at halftime this year if she wanted to. But she that, turned now, it down. She's touring and all that. But Now, I mentioned the, the conspiracy theory side of this. If she was performing in half, it would almost be understood that it would be all in conspiracy. No? Yeah, I think, like... We think we get a lot of the NFL scripted stuff now. No, forget it. Yeah, forget that would be that would be blatant. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you talking about Taylor Swift with me for a few minutes because it's not something you often do. So uh, that was a nice little change of pace. Yeah. Well, you know, for our listeners that that like the segment, we're actually going to add it every single week, uh, regardless of if the NFL is in action. Yeah. We're just going to have the, the Swifty session. We'll call it the last. Yeah. Last 10 minutes of the podcast. So even uh, like when she's no longer with Travis Kelsey or anything like that. Yeah. Keep going. We'll we'll keep it going. But uh, anything else you you want to hit on before we get out of here? No, I think uh, I think we're good. I think we'll probably hear from uh, our friend Brandon Kurtzman in the coming days to talk some NBA. Uh, We'll get updates on picks and all that. And uh, yeah, that's all for me, man. Yeah. Kurtzman will be on soon. Uh, Again, big NBA trade deadline. Then the next coming week, so we'll a lot, a lot to get to there. I think the Knicks will definitely be active. But uh, if that's all, then enjoy the Knicks basketball. Enjoy this wonderful stretch of of Knicks basketball. Honestly, it just just take it all in. Like I said about Patrick Mahomes. So thank you all for listening and peace out. <laughs>